to Romans chapter 11, and we are continuing to look at Paul's words in uh, chapters 9, 10, and 11 that have to do with uh, this, <laughs> this conflict that's going on in, uh, in the church. Radical, right? Conflict in the church. Um, uh, so the church in Rome is comprised of two basic groups of people. There's those that are Christians who come from a Jewish background. And there are those that are Christians who come from a Greek or uh, a Roman background. And the Greek and Roman slash Gentile background believers are the majority. Uh, The Jewish background believers are the minority. Uh, And yet there's sort of this superiority that apparently the non-Jewish background believers are adopting. Thinking, you know, hey, uh, we're better than the Jewish you know, ethnically Jewish believers here, uh, we're more spiritually responsive, we've embraced the gospel, the Jewish community as a whole has not, and so, you know, they're feeling a little uppity. Uh, And in these verses uh, this morning, Paul's directly addressing the Gentiles, those who have non-Jewish background, and he's calling them to understand a little bit of their heritage, uh, to know uh, the the gratefulness that they ought to approach their relationship with with, um, Jewish background believers and to see more clearly uh, the mercy of God to them because uh, they were grafted in, to use Paul's imagery, uh, when they they really didn't deserve to be. So let's stand in honor of God's word. I'm in Romans chapter 11. Let me read verses 17 through 24. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. And then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Well, that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word to us. You have given us a revelation of Jesus, and we pray that our eyes would see, our ears would hear, our hearts um, would receive this good news of Jesus who has grafted all of us in uh, to himself, that we might have life in him. May we see your view and view your mercy more clearly, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. About three years ago, uh, our family got to take a, a trip to Colorado and um, visit some family. My wife has uh, an aunt and uncle who live uh, in Fort Collins, 
which is near Colorado Springs. And then I have an uncle and aunt, uh, and they live on the Western Slope and um, in Grand Junction, uh, a place called Fruta. And, uh, and my, my grandmother also uh, lives, and she's in a retirement home and uh, a nursing home, really. And, uh, and my uncle and aunt sort of watch after her and care for her. She turns 100 um, this November 20th. So uh, it's pretty remarkable. I, um, I got this box from my uncle when, uh, when we were out there, and he sent it back with us. And, uh, and, and in this box is just a bunch of, of, of stuff from my, my grandparents, my nan and my pop-up. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's artifacts that they uh, had, you know, old books and pictures and things like that, but also some, some genealogical work that my Uncle Lee had, uh, had studied and comprised, and, uh, and there's four different uh, records in here, and, uh, and I, you know, I still need to make sense of these, to, to be honest, but, uh, but this totally expanded my, my view of, of who, uh, who I am and, and who I come from. Uh, prior to, to these documents, I was like, well, all right, so there's my, my nan pop up on my, my dad's side, and there's, you know, Jack and Ellen on my mom's side. I really didn't know any great-grandparents for that matter. But, but in, in these pages, I can go back to uh, folks like my great-great-great-grandfather, Joseph Daly, who was born in 1814 somewhere in Ireland, and who married Unity McCoy. Uh, she was born in 1816 in Ireland, and they had um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven children, uh, all in Pennsylvania after they had um, emigrated from Ireland uh, when Joseph and Unity were in their early 20s. Uh, and so that's how all of my dad's family ended up uh, in the Philly area. Uh, and that's how I became a, a Phillies fan and an Eagles fan. Um, I was never into hockey, so, you know, I hear the Flyers are great, but whatever. Uh, so I'm, I'm, you know, I can remember spending holidays up, up in Philly and stuff. So all of a sudden, now we're going back to the you know, 19th century with... Uh, well, there was my dad, he's uh, Kenneth Glenn Jr. My grandfather is, uh, well, my pop-up was Kenneth Glenn, you know, daily. Uh, before him was Leo, uh, and, uh, and before him was Joseph, and before him was Joseph Sr. So all that just kind of expanded my whole idea of who I am and where I came from. But then there's this one. And this traces, uh, I... I I need to verify it, but I think this, is, this genealogy is tracing uh, my great-great-grandmother's family all the way back to a man named Valentin Nicodemus. Uh, I'm really not sure who he is. Uh, we don't know where he was born. We know he had a son named Johannes and that Johannes had a son named Johann Peter Nicodemus on January 21st, 1644 in Nassau, Germany. Uh, so, wow, now I've gone from the early 1800s to the early 1600s. And this goes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 
10, 11, uh, I think it's 12, thir 13 generations when you land on me and my brother Aaron. Um, so, wow, okay, I am not alone. I, I didn't just show up on this planet. I didn't just sort of, you know, adopt my way of life. I didn't, you know, come up with my own eyes and ears and nose. Uh, my personality uh, is not just something I decided, hey, I'm going to be like this. Um, and, and that's, you know, going to define Essen. I, I'm, I'm a product of what came before me. And I've got this incredibly long story of, you know, people who have shaped me and influenced me and who I am today. And so do you. Biologically and emotionally and, you know, in terms of your personality, but spiritually too. Uh, we all need to recognize, as Paul was pointing out here in this, uh, in this passage, that we come from this line of, of Israel. Um, and how do we understand what God's relationship was with Israel? What do we make of, of the fact that all throughout the Old Testament, God said, these are my chosen people, and, uh, and I have a special relationship with them, but now, uh, on this side of, of the, you know, the New Testament, we realize that, by and large, the Jewish community, ethnically Jewish community, did not receive the Messiah that God sent to them, uh, but a bunch of the other nations have. And now, how should we view Israel? Um, so, on the one hand, there's going to be, you know, like family business going on here. If you're new to the Bible or new to the church, uh, you're going to go, well, why, why should I care, you know? Um, and maybe if, you, if you've been around the Bible and been around the church for a long time, you're still wondering, why should I care you know, about this? But it's important because of how, as I said, you know, our families define us, how they influence us and how they shape us. Furthermore, uh, we, we need to think about the future, what's coming. And, uh, and Kyle next week is going to be talking about uh, the end of chapter 11 and, uh, and, and some verses about you know, what might we expect in terms of God's relationship with Israel. Uh, I'm breaking this up into Paul's summary here of describing Judaism's privilege, their heritage, uh, God's kindness and severity, and then what it means to stand firm in your faith uh, and, and what can we look forward to for our future. So let, let's talk about Judaism's privilege and, and heritage. The Bible's this story of God drawing near uh, to a people who left to themselves are not going to draw near to him. Uh, ever since the garden, basically our fundamental position, our posture has been run away and hide. Um, you know, we're going to do our own thing. We're going to, you know, follow our nose and adopt our own rules. And then when God shows up to hold us accountable for it, we're going to be, we're going to cower in shame and in guilt. Uh, we don't want, we don't, we don't want to be around him. His presence disturbs us. And yet at the same time, God is whom we most desperately want. And the story of the Bible is God drawing near to people who don't deserve to be forgiven, don't deserve to be in relationship with him, but in his grace and in his mercy, he loves and he draws to himself. And that story begins all the way back, you know, right after Adam and Eve sinned, continues through Noah, continues through the patriarchs. Abraham is really the key figure. And through Abraham, God says, all right, you're gonna, your family's going to belong to me, and then it's going to become a tribe, and then it's going to become a nation. Uh, way earlier in the book of Romans, Paul begins this letter to the church by saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and then to the Gentile. He doesn't mince words about the the priority and the privilege that that the Jewish community has enjoyed. Um, So back in Psalm 80, there's this description of God's relationship with Israel, how the psalmist says, you brought a vine out of Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it, you cleared the ground for it, it took deep root and filled the land all throughout the Old Testament, Israel's compared to a vine, a vineyard, uh, a well-watered garden, a tree. And uh, this is God's intimate relationship uh, being described with his people. Um, Other descriptions of God's intimate relationship with his people can be found in Exodus 19. Uh, You shall be my treasured possession. You are gonna be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a people for my own possession. And I love you. It's God's relationship with Israel. Um, when Paul speaks to this, uh, this Roman church, as I said before, he is really singling out. As you see, look at verse 13. I hope you've got your Bibles open. In verse 13, he, he, he says explicitly, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Uh, I want to address uh, an attitude or, you know, Paul has gotten wind of, of this racial, ethnic, religious conflict that's going on in the church in Rome. And he says, let me speak to you Gentiles. In verse 15, he goes on, he says, look, if their rejection, if their unbelief means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance and their belief mean but life from the dead? So if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Uh, Paul used that language of a root, and he, and he moves into this uh, illustration of grafting branches in, into the root. Um, Paul had earlier given a list of some of the privileges that, that Israel had enjoyed in chapter 9. He says, you know, to the Israelites belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises, And to them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. So, you know, let's not forget that Jesus is a Jewish Messiah. Our Savior is a Jewish Messiah. Um, This acknowledgement of the privileges that Israel has enjoyed has given rise to, within Christianity, an entire movement of very pro-Israel uh, theology and even, you know, foreign policy and, you know, how we view ethnic national Israel. Uh, there's a movement, it's, it, it used to be much, much larger uh, back when you heard a lot more about dispensational theology and back when the Schofield Reference Bible was really, really popular. Um, that that uh, perspective on uh, theological redemptive history and that perspective on the future is shrinking. Uh, and I think that's a good thing personally because I, I don't agree with the dispensational perspective on redemptive history. God has one covenant of grace that he's always extended to his Old Testament people and to us. And it's not you know, broken up into different ways of relating to God you know, in seven different dispensations. Uh, that said, that, that movement promoted a, um, a, a Zionist, a Christian Zionism 
uh, that was saying, all right, listen, for the end times to come, what needs to happen is Israel needs to be reestablished as a nation. Uh, they need to take Jerusalem back from uh, the Muslims. They need to reestablish and rebuild the temple. They have to reestablish the sacrificial systems and all of that stuff that we see in the Old Testament. And then Jesus will come back because that's how they interpret some of the prophecies from Daniel and from Ezekiel and, and other places in the Old Testament. Um, you know, what I, can, what I can command is really wanting to live life and view life under the complete authority of the Bible. Um, so the motive is good. I just think the interpretation was wrong. But nonetheless, just know that within Christianity, there's been incredible pro-Israel you know, camps, uh, and, and especially when Israel was reconstituted as a nation in 1948. That gave all kinds of enthusiasm and fodder to, the, to this, this movement. And, uh, and it's, it is good for us to adopt a, a pro Israel perspective in the sense that these are our family. Christianity isn't something separate. It's just something that's it's a fulfillment of what began, what we came from. Because our Messiah, our Savior is a Jewish Messiah. Our father had Jewish kids before he had us. Uh, the Comforter, our Holy Spirit, uh, he led Israel through the Red Sea and through the desert. Um, that uh, when we look at our, our Bible, um, our Old Testament is a Jewish Bible. Our sacraments um, come from Jewish sacraments. Uh, circumcision led to baptism. The Passover, the Seder led to the Lord's Supper. I remember, um, you know, Gloria Good is very graciously filling in on piano for us today and, and yesterday. And she and Ray had uh, our family over a number of years ago to participate in a Seder dinner. It was the first time I'd ever done that. And it was really remarkable to see all of those parallels, all the fulfillment, all the things that Jesus was using that Passover meal to point to himself. And that's what we now celebrate uh, through the Lord's Supper. Um, incidentally, um, we miss Ben Elliott. And if anybody knows a really good pianist <laughs> who would mind, wouldn't mind uh, helping out and filling in, that would be great. But we're thankful that Gloria is helping out. Um, so just remember where we've come from and also remember where we're going. Because when Revelation gives us a picture of what we're looking forward to, uh, yeah, there's lots of stuff that just uh, fires the imagination. It's, it's compelling. It's captivating. And it describes a new Jerusalem, you know, coming down out of heaven dressed as a bride adorned for her husband. So there's even that that link, that, that rootedness uh, that we're supposed to be looking forward to. It's not going to be altogether different. Uh, it'll be fulfilled, and it's fulfilled in Christ, but it's not separate. So that's some of the privileges that Israel had, and those are the, that define some of the heritage that we now have. But, um, but I want to look at these verses about God's kindness and his severity, because those words get your attention, don't they? They get my attention. God's kindness, that's great. We love hearing about God's kindness. God's severity, I don't like that. Uh, I don't, I don't want to mess with that. Uh, but let's, let's talk about his kindness for starters. In verse 17, Paul's describing this uh, olive, this wild olive shoot that's grafted in among the others. And we now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Um, so Paul's using this uh, agricultural term, grafting, where uh, to make a a tree or a vine more, more fruitful, more productive, or 
more, um, more, more hardy, uh, more weather uh, resistant or, or, or bug resistant, more disease resistant. Sometimes, uh, I don't understand it all, but sometimes you know, it's better to clip off a, a stem or a branch from this particular breed over here and then you, you cut a notch in the, the main trunk uh, or branch over here on this other uh, tree that's got roots and all that. And you stick that branch in, you wrap it with tape, and six weeks later, you know, the vascular systems are linked and there's sap flowing from the roots and the new branches are being, affect are being nourished by the roots, but the DNA of the branches is what's actually going to be blossoming. All that to say, uh, I kind of chuckle to myself as I drive up, you know, when I go home, uh, I can pass about three different weeping cherry trees, which were all the rage, you know, 10 years ago to plant, I guess. Uh, weeping cherry trees and Bradford pears. Uh, weeping cherry trees uh, that are hybrids, you know, they've, they've been grafted, that's why they, they're, they're weeping. But uh, inevitably there's these straight stalks that are shooting right up from the middle and it just looks like, okay, that was a fail. Uh, they didn't quite graft that correctly. Uh, and I just wanna go and I wanna, I wanna chop the tops off. But, um, that's, high, that, that's grafting, that's, that's what we're talking about, that's what Paul's talking about. So you have this wild olive branch, that's us. We're the wild olive branch. And that's not, that's not a compliment, you know. Um, sometimes, now, nowadays people like to think of themselves a little wild, you know, a little rough around the edges and we feel like that's cool or whatever. This was not cool, um, this was, something where you were an outsider, you were an alien, you were estranged, and, uh, and that's the Gentile you know, nations by and large. And so what Paul is describing is God in his mercy and his kindness taking us who had no business, no relationship with God in his original covenant with, um, with Israel, and nonetheless saying, I'm going to plant you, I'm going to stick you into that same root which results in this really interesting looking, you know, spiritual tree. Uh, one root with, you know, Jewish and Greek and Roman and, you know, all the countries you see listed at Pentecost. All these different fruits coming from it, which I think kind of has something to do with what you see in Revelation. The tree that's, uh, that, that blooms, uh, that, that is bearing fruit in every month. Twelve different kinds of fruit. You know, I think it's a nice parallel between all the different nations and all the different languages that are gathered before the throne. Paul's talking about God's kindness to us. The riches that, that we get in verse 12, if Israel's trespass means riches for the world and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will, the full, their, will their full inclusion mean? That word riches is what Paul is using to describe the root of the olive tree. Um, our English translations use nourishing, but it really is the same Greek word for riches. The riches of that root, you know, we benefit from. We didn't earn it. We, didn't, we don't deserve it. But Jesus offers it to us, and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, all you who are, you know, dried out and withered and who need nourishment and who need the water of life, and I will give you to drink. I will take your burden. I will bless you. I will give you life, and your sins will be forgiven, and you'll be in union with me. That's, that's what Jesus says to us. Come to me. He didn't have to do that. It's his kindness. It's just kindness. Not, not, to, not, to, not kindness to nice people. We all know how to be kind to nice people, but 
That's Jesus' kindness to to enemies, uh, to those who have said, no, God, thank you very much. I want to live my own life. And when God does show up, you know, we want to run and hide guilt and shame, just like we were talking about with Adam and Eve. Jesus' kindness to those who didn't do anything to earn it. We're not nice. We're sinners, and Jesus forgives our sins. Um, And he makes us one. Ephesians 2, Paul talks about how God, through the cross, has made the two one. He's reconciled the, those who are at enemy, at enmity, uh, so that we don't become Jewish, uh, nor do the Jewish people forsake their heritage, but we become something entirely different. Paul says that, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and reconcile us both to God through the cross, killing the hostility. You see, you see that what Christianity is is something entirely different, something, something other than Judaism or Gentile religion, but Jesus, being united to him, a third way uh, that God expresses his kindness to us. So let's talk about severity. Uh, we, we need to do this because it's here and, uh, and, it's, and it's for us. It's, it, warnings are good. Uh, we warn our kids so that they'll stay out of danger. God warns his kids so that we'll stay out of danger. Uh, Verse 20 and following, Paul says that these branches were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity to those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. When we, when we see language like this in the Bible, uh, don't, don't somehow get the impression that uh, some theologians like to say, well, that's Paul. You know, Paul kind of had a more narrow, cut and dry, black and white view of everything. No, no, he, he was a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus talked about the severity of God. And Jesus would not only say, you know, um, come to me, but in the Sermon on the Mount, he was describing those who would come to him on that day and say, you know, we did all this stuff for you. Look how good we are. Look how we've earned our place. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me because I never knew you. And that's the severity of Jesus. Depart from me. You didn't have life in me. You were trying to have life in yourself. You weren't connected to me. You are autonomous. Um, And for that matter, Jesus isn't coming up with this, you know, as something novel. John the Baptist, who prepared the way for Jesus, described it this way. He told those who were coming to him, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So, you know, Paul is, uh, John is using the imagery of a tree and, you know, branches that are cut off. Um, Jesus will, will use similar language. Uh, some of this, uh, we've talked about those within Christianity that are very pro-Israel. There are others in the history of the church, and sadly still today, who are very anti-Semitic. And have used um, passages like this to sort of fuel this, um, this prejudice um, uh, against Israel thinking that, well, you know, they're getting what they deserve, and if God's using me as an agent for that punishment and for that, uh, that judgment, then so be it. 
and we don't have to go into all the atrocities that have been committed against the Jewish community as an expression of that anti-Semitism. So which is it? You know, should the church be ultra pro-Israel? Should the church be anti-Semitic? Uh, I don't think it's either. We're going to get to where we're going here in, as we talk about privilege and presumption uh, and then some other things. In verse 20, Paul says, don't become proud, but fear. Verse 22, note God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Uh, you know, obviously the question here is, can I be cut off? I don't want to be cut off. I don't want to be, I don't want to be broken off. I want to stay in Christ. Uh, that's why we're here, presumably. We want to grow in Christ. We want to be disciples. The idea of being cut off is, is, uh, is horrible, you know, and, and we're in a tradition that believes very much and values very much that once, once we're regenerated, once we've given a new heart, um, that can't be changed. You know, God's the agent of that salvation, and he doesn't change his mind, and once we become part of the body of Christ, Jesus doesn't amputate part of his body. So, therefore, do I have to worry about these verses? Well, yes, we have to worry about these verses. We have to worry about these verses from the standpoint of, well, what is it that keeps somebody united to Christ? And it's what Paul describes as faith. Stand firm in your faith. And when we forget to have faith, when we forget to believe in Jesus, then we adopt the old pattern, the old way of living, which is basically, I just need to measure up. I need to perform. But what Jesus is saying is, believe. Believe in me. Come to me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. He's the Israel. He's the root. Um, the, the root of Jesse, as Isaiah 11 describes him. And and so when we think about who is Israel, how do I, how do I get connected to, to, to Israel? Well, you have to get connected to Jesus. And he becomes this, the, the, the def definition of who is a part of, that, of God's Israel. Anybody who's connected to Jesus is considered Israel. They're the church, the, this new Israel, this third group of people who are not you know, it's um, Jewish religion or any, you know, religion for that matter is so busy saying, become like us, adopt our, our rules, adopt our laws, do life our way. And then you've got kind of the, the Gentile religions uh, or, you know, the spirit of the age, which is very pluralistic. You can worship whatever God you want, do things your own way. Uh, and in contrast to, you know, Jewish religion, which was saying, be like us, you know, all the rest of the religions are basically saying, you know, be who you are. Be your own person. And that's what we hear today. Uh, instead, you know, what we're looking at is Jesus. And he says, be like me. It's not as if we're all a bunch of Christians saying, hey, come to the church and be like us and talk like us and dress like us and listen to the music you listen to and, you know, um, anyway, any of the stuff that defines what has been described as the Christian ghetto. Um, but instead, be like Jesus. That's who we're supposed to be pointing people to. Not, not saying, hey, you know, come and be enculturated into our culture, but be a disciple and follow Jesus because he is the vine and he is the root and he is, the, he is where you get life. Continuing in God's kindness means continuing in Jesus. And the threat of being broken off is simply the threat of here's what a life looks like that stops believing in Jesus. This is real. This is why the church is given officers. Jesus gives elders what mysteriously, you know, he describes as the keys of the kingdom. 
and there is such a thing as excommunication you know, in church government. And all that is is what happens when you know, the uh, process runs its course and that person is still not repenting, not believing in Jesus, not repenting of sin, but instead trying to do life on their own. And that's what a branch that gets broken off looks like. And from our theological perspective, we would say they didn't really understand what that salvation by faith was ever about. And that's why 1 John says, well, they went out from us, but they weren't really of us. Incidentally, uh, the great news is uh, any branch that's broken off can be plugged right back in. Any branch that is, uh, that, that is removed um, can, by God's activity, uh, be grafted back in, and that's Paul's promise here. He wants us to remember our privileges, uh, to not get entitled, not become proud, not become arrogant. You know what happens when you become arrogant? You know, you start looking down on people, you forget that you've been given mercy. You far, start to feel superior. You start to lord your life over others. This happens in marriages, it happens with parenting, it happens in friendships, it happens in the church, it happens in every circle and sphere of life that we inhabit. And our way of guarding against that pride and that arrogance is to pay attention to what's going on in our heads, what's happening in our thought processes when we're looking and evaluating the behavior of other people. Am I looking down on certain people in my life? Maybe not am I, but when am I? Because we all do it and we have to keep repenting. So pay attention to the places in your life where you're feeling proud and feeling entitled and feeling better than other people uh, for getting God's kindness to us. Uh, places where we look down on those who support Trump. Places where we look down on those who support Hillary. Um, Places where you look down on Jennifer at the corner here, you know, you think, come on, Jennifer, can't you, you know, get a job or, you know, straighten up your life or whatever. And then there are those who, you know, want to drive by and give Jennifer, you know, a, an entire cooler's worth of stuff. And you look at that and you go, I can't believe they're just, you know, enabling her. I mean, it, so it happens all the time. Um, do you look down on those who are homeschooling their kids at home, thinking, oh, they're not giving their kids a chance? Or do you look down on those who are, have their kids in public school? Oh, I can't believe they're feeding them to the wolves. It goes on and on. Uh, do you look down on those who are black? Do you look down on those who are white? Do you look down on those who think black lives matter? Or do you look down on those who think blue lives matter too? It just goes on and on. You look down on those who, you know, like to dress fancy and, you know, wear fancy clothes and so on and pay attention to, you know, how they look. Or do you look down on those who, you know, are just more simple and, you know, don't wear a lot of makeup and don't, do the, don't spend half an hour doing their hair, you know. Um, it just goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Pride is really, really nasty stuff. I'm guilty of it. You're guilty of it. And we have to remember the kindness of Jesus. And here's how we have faith, and here's how we understand our future, standing fast through faith. Verse 20, Paul says, stand fast through faith. Do not become proud, but fear. Um, you know, back in chapter 9, verse 31, Paul was explaining that Israel fell because they did not pursue the righteousness of God by faith. When Jesus was on the cross, what he was doing is he was opening this door for all who would believe in him to come into the family of God, to enjoy those same privileges that Israel had. When, 
when Paul is describing theirs as the adoption, well, now yours is the adoption. Isn't that a great picture, grafting something that belonged to something way over here, and you bring it and you stick it into this root? I mean, that's a picture of adoption. And if there's anything adoption communicates to us is that you're not alone. You don't have to fend for yourself. You have a father, and he provides for you, and he loves you, and he protects you. You're not alone. The privileges that Israel had of glory, you know, you're not ashamed. You're not covered in your sin. You're not exposed. You're covered in Jesus and his glory. You have a covenant. You're included in that covenant. You're loved. God entered into a covenant with Israel, said, I'm going to be a husband. You're going to be my bride. And through Jesus, when we get grafted into him, believe in him, God's covenant applies to us, and we're not unloved. He's our husband, and we become the bride of Christ. The law, the worship, the promises, we're not lost. We have a guide. We have orientation. We're not just winging it. And all of these privileges become ours as we stand fast through faith. So the way to become part of God's true Israel is to become a part of Jesus. Uh, in the Psalms, in the, Psalms uh, the psalmist says, you know, I am like a green olive tree planted in the presence of God. And that's how all of us should view ourselves. How do I flourish? How do I grow? How do I bear fruit? As John was warning, you know, keep, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Instead of pride, how do I bear the fruit of love and peace and joy and patience and kindness? If we were like that, then that's what it looks like to, to remain in Christ, to abide in the vine, to have a future through faith. In that box that uh, my Uncle Lee gave me uh, was this document as well. <clears throat> it's the Reaffirmation of Marriage Covenant, uh, anchored in faith, hope, and love. Let it be known that Mr. and Mrs. Kenneth G. Daly, my Nana and Papa, reaffirmed their marriage commitment and covenant in the 50th year of their marriage during a cruise on board the MS New Amsterdam. Not bad. This is dated August 5th, 1990. My pop-up died a few years after this. And as I said, my, my nana is going to be 100 this November. And they got this because every day they woke up and they said, I do. And every day they woke up and they said, I'm going to keep covenant. And every day they woke up and they said, I'm going to continue to keep my promise. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to continue as we, as we you know, see this parallel between us and God, our, our heavenly husband. We wake up every day as his disciples and we say, I do. I believe. I'm rooted in Christ. He is my righteousness. And that is how we stand firm. That is how we look at our future. Don't worry if you're going to be broken off or cut off or whatever. The only day that matters is today. Are you in Christ or not? Do you believe in him or not? Is he your life? Is he the root from which you draw everything? And if he's not, come to him. Believe in him. Your savior, who's Israel's Messiah. Let's pray. Father, would you give us uh, humility as we approach this this reality of our salvation as we rejoice to be included uh, in your promises and in your covenant and in your faithful attention. Lord, would you forgive us for 
our arrogance and pride and the places where we forget that we are who we are and we have what we have because of your mercy, especially when it comes to Jesus. And left to ourselves, we too would have rejected him. We too would have stubbornly refused to believe. But in your kindness, uh, you called us to yourself. And I pray that you would keep us near to yourself, Lord, that today, tomorrow, and the next day, we would continue to believe in Jesus, that we would abide in him, and that we would repent of our sins, and that we would try to grow and seek to demonstrate uh, fruit of love and joy and peace. Lord, um, thank you for the glory you get in your church around the world. Thank you for all the different nations that, uh, that encompass it, and we pray that you would continue to get glory long into the future. And on that day when you do come back, um, we pray that the diversity and the beauty of the church would, uh, would give you great glory as you tenderly sing uh, to your Israel, to your beloved, to your bride. We pray in your name.